Hi, this is Erica Potter. And this is Hunter Willis. And this is Hot Girl Briefing. Hey, Erica. Hey, Hunter. Hey, so let's start out with a quick little disclaimer. Super sorry, everybody. Thursday came, Thursday went. And Thursday, I was sick in bed. I've been sick in bed for the last week. Your boy has caught COVID, finally. It has gotten to me after, what, this two years? Two years of evading COVID, and it has, it finally got me on the same day that I got my booster shot. So while I was vaccinated, yes, I made the fatal error of getting a booster shot. And then later that day, I started having symptoms of COVID, which I thought, oh, must just be the booster shot. Went and got tested. It was not just the, it was not just the booster shot, y'all. So I was in bed all week. Um, absolutely could not record. Barely could even get on the phone with Erica to be honest, <laughs> to be like, hey, I'm so sick. This is not going to happen this week. I'm so sorry. So we do apologize, especially for not putting something out that is, that's on us. So we do apologize for that. But yeah, it was well, we're thankful to have your voice now. That's yeah, what matters. You know, thank God it's back because God, it was really rough. I mean, I'm a talker as y'all can probably guess from this podcast, Eric and I are both talkers. The fact that I could not talk for about a week, mm-mm, not fun. Heartbreaking. <laughs> not fun. So with well, that- we're glad little, you're better. And yeah, now we can, get, we can get back to business as usual, guys. We promise that, well, we're, we're going to hope that we both don't get COVID again. We already had it, so- yeah, yes, we should be good now. We should be good. Erica, Erica caught hers very strategically over winter break when we had already recorded what I think we recorded like four or five episodes just to have them at the ready because we knew we were both going to be busy over the holidays. And... Strategically for the pod, not strategically, yes. strategically for meeting your boyfriend's parents for the first time. So that was yeah, that a win for the pod, <laughs> an L for me. <laughs> so thank you, audience, for... <laughs> You have, you've been caught in the good graces of Miss Rona, except for this last Thursday. She done got me and we did not have a BRI recorded already before this last weekend. So, but here we are recording today. So Erica, what are we going to be talking about today? We're going to be talking about Hawaii and its history with the United States and kind of just a little bit what Hawaii is up to now. Okay. I think that a lot of people don't really know. Well, maybe this is just an assumption, but I think the true history of Hawaii is not really taught in the way that we are taught in like high school. Like they don't really tell you. They're just like, oh, Hawaii became a state. And that that's that. I would absolutely agree with that. It's kind of just like, hey, we're going to brush over all of like the gross, not very fun things about it. And we're just going to think about it as a very pretty island. I just figured like, you know, we're talking about Russia's illegal annexation of uh, Crimea in Ukraine. Why not talk about the United States' well, yeah, very own illegal annexation? Because it's going to make the U.S. look bad. So why would the U.S. want to talk about it? I mean, come on now. <laughs> exactly. It's just funny. Like, U.S. is like, you cannot do this, Russia. Absolutely You've not. Russia's Crimea. Like... You've annexed Crimea. You're horrible people. And then Russia's like, yo, dog, you literally did the same thing. And the U.S. is like, yeah, but like, that was different, though. That was different. <laughs> It's not like they were our neighbor. Like, I mean, I'm not making excuses for Russia at all. Obviously, horrible situation. Crimea, though, much more understandable. You know, it's like right next to Russia. It's right there. Yeah, versus, and it used to be part of the USSR. Yeah, versus where Hawaii is. It's how far away from mainland US? Like, come on now. Like, let's. Mm, US is like know. me like, me take. 
yes mine now yes <laughs> it was pretty yeah it was like like a drunk sorority girl at a really cute little bar that has all like the nice little cups like everything is going in her bag she's taking it she doesn't care she doesn't care if you don't like it she's doing it she's taking all those little cups as she can as that drunk sorority girl at the party, I can <laughs> confirm. I can confirm. <laughs> You're like, you know All what? Right. I may have a cup or two in my apartment. Yeah. <laughs> Cannot it's possible. confirm or deny. <laughs> yeah. I have absolutely nothing from any fraternity house if any of them are listening, which they probably aren't. <laughs> I have absolutely nothing, and I put that on legal record. Okay. <laughs> Y'all didn't see it, but Erica is definitely winking at <laughs> yeah, I'm like winking. I'm like, yeah. Okay. Legally, anything they'd say is alleged. All right. So let's get into Hawaii. What how how did how did Hawaii come to be? I guess. We'll start there. We'll start there. We'll, we'll give it the really broad timeline here. So like any, you know, Aboriginal native place, they were already blossoming and they were doing their own thing, the Hawaiians. Mm -hmm. And then the Westerners came and quote discovered Hawaii. Um, it's no. not like there were people there that you know were living there for how many hundreds or even thousands exactly or hawaii's just like chilling years, but and then sure, like you, western it. is like oh we discovered hawaii though hawaii was non-existent until we got there they're like yeah actually none of you knew that you were here it was because of us that now you know that you're here mm -hmm. like, okay. and so it's it started with british explorer james cook's arrival on the islands um, that is the accounts of Western discovery of the Hawaiian Islands back in January 1778. But according to the Native Hawaiians, Cook was actually not the first white foreigner to discover Hawaii. But that's that's who's written in the books and in the Western documents. So that is apparently fact. Okay. <laughs> according to we the will, <laughs> We will take that. <laughs> he did get his comeuppance. Uh, now, so he came and discovered in January 1778, right? Literally okay. a year later, he was killed at Kaolic. Kokua Bay. I probably butchered that pronunciation and I'm going to butcher a lot more. Just want to preface. It's also like I think pronounced Hawaii by the native Hawaiians. I think we are going to say Hawaii going forward, but that is the right pronunciation of it. And okay. if there's any other butchered pronunciations along the way, I apologize in advance. But yeah, literally a year later in 1779, James Cook was like killed on that bay in Hawaii. Did he get like unalived? Yeah, or like he, did. he just like natural causes. No, he definitely got unalived. Oh, um, okay, awesome. Okay, I couldn't All really right. see much about that, but they just said like he was killed. I assume it was uneventful. Okay, I after mean, what happened? Yeah, they're not even going to really go into it. Like every good death story always has something. I mean, we hear about Caesar for how many years after? Like we need, we just need to hear about what happens after. But um, yeah, in. 1810, which was years after his arrival, King Kamehameha I united the islands as one kingdom under his rule. Because actually before, when Cook had actually arrived onto the islands, they were all in the middle of several wars between Hawaii, uh, Maui, and Oahu. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, after he arrived, and that's kind of like when the start of like the Westerners are like, oh, there's, there's people and there's stuff in Hawaii. We need to go explore this more. So then it was united. And then we get in 1819, which is like about 10 years later, Kamehameha II becomes king. And then in 1820, some congregational church missionaries from New England arrive. And that's when you that's know. Never, that's, that's never the good start know. for anything. Like as soon as that happens, everything goes downhill. Exactly. Like that was what, about 40 years after? And so yeah. 
because again, there were several wars, so the islands weren't even a United Kingdom at that point, but they literally became a United Kingdom in 1810. And then 10 years later, the missionaries are like, look like it's time for me to shine. They're like, you know what? We know that James Cook died here. However, yep. we're going to we're going to come and try and do our thing now. Yep. So the American Board of Commissioners for Foreign Missions sent over sent over 100 missionaries from the United Church of Christ to Hawaii between 1820 and 1850 because they needed to spread Jesus Christ and Christianity. They the missionaries claimed that the native Hawaiians they encountered on the islands were savage and uncivilized and other foreigners on the islands in the 19th century described the Hawaiians political economic relationships and agricultural systems as similar to the European feudal system of the Middle Ages. Yeah, so one thing about that is that the missionaries, they really wanted to go and civilize, quote unquote. It's not like these people were already had their own form of government. They already had their own society values. Like they're clearly civilized. However, just Western ignorance at this point. However, you had these missionaries go on and their attempt to go and civilize these people was through these sugar plantations. And that was their big way of civilizing these people. They were like, you know what? We're going to make a profit out of it while we attempt to civilize these people because sugar production at that point was so highly valued. That was when Europe was really starting to have sugar in their tea. They were really starting to love sugar. So it was a hot commodity and you just couldn't get enough of it. So at that point you have access to all of these islands now that the native Hawaiians, they've been producing sugarcane on their own for hundreds, if not thousands of years at this point. I mean, the Caribbean, they really only had these sugar plantations there after Christopher Columbus came and explored them. So they were really starting to get up and coming with their sugar production. Meanwhile, Hawaii already was doing this all on their own. Like these native Hawaiians, they've had the sugar production going. So that's one of the really interesting thing with the missionaries is they were really aiming to use capitalism almost to teach these people how to be civilized instead of their feudal system that they compared it to between the Ali'i and the Maki Ai Nana, I believe it is. Yeah, well, they weren't even like taking into account like Hawaii's like existing farming techniques. Mm -hmm. Like they're just literally trying to, they're basically setting the stone or the preference for like why they're gonna need to come in and help. Like, we're probably sure they weren't savage and uncivilized. I mean, maybe in Christianity, Christianity terms, perhaps, but like even comparing their outdated system, it's basically just like, like giving themselves an invitation as to why they need to come and help. Yeah. And so, you know, they're, they're kind of chilling. They're getting there, starting to get the lay of the land and similar to how they might treat an untapped oil reserve. They saw sugar and they're like, I see dollar signs only actually. Mm -hmm. And so right after the missionaries start to arrive, Kamehameha II and Queen Kamamalu contract measles in England and they die. So Kamehameha III becomes king. And it's also important to note, like, they were, so the they're trying to, like, um, fend off all of these invaders from coming in. Now that the West is aware of them, they're trying to, like, go and do peace things. So they go to England, they literally get measles and die. That's not even counting the diseases that the foreigners are bringing over to the Native Hawaiians, which if we know anything from our Native American experience, mm-hmm. like that severely decreases the amount of Native Hawaiians in Hawaii as missionaries and more white settlers come to Hawaii. But mm-hmm. so, so Kamehameha III becomes king and he, in his time as king, 
decided to change the way that land was kind of divided. So the hereditary holding of land becomes like part of the Hawaiian legal system because previously under Kamehameha I, it was kind of just like, all right, I'm going to give out lands to people. They're all actually mine, but I'll, I'll give them out to you. Okay. Um, well, technically they belong to the Akua, which is the gods, but it was administered by the king and the high chief. So like, mm-hmm. you know, divine right to rule, like the lands were his because he was the barrier through God, like all that. Yeah. Or all their gods, all that kind of jazz. But so then the U.S. comes in and they're like, hey, I see what you got going on. I want it. So the first U.S. Hawaiian Treaty of Friendship, Commerce and Navigation comes about in 1826. And this was actually when the United States first recognized Hawaii as an independent and sovereign nation. Mm-hmm. And then in an interesting plot twist, Kamehameha III converts to Christianity. So that starts okay. to influence some of the bills and things that start to go on in Hawaii's legislative actions. So in 1839, we get the Bill of Rights. And then in 1840, we get a new constitution that shifts the kingdom to a constitutional monarchy. Now in this, King Kamehameha III and Queen Anuai, which is a prime, the prime minister, continue to share executive authority, but there's four governors appointed with subordinate executive powers and elected by camera legislature created, a Supreme Court created, and the land now belongs to the chiefs and people with the king just as a trustee. Okay. So if you notice some of those, like a Supreme Court, a bicameral legislature, it's looking sounding... a little, looking a little similar to the U.S. over here. Yep. And then in 1841, a new law was passed that allowed those governors to enter 40-year leases with foreigners because previously you couldn't have land in Hawaii if you weren't Native Hawaiian. Mm-hmm. But now that starts. And then in 1842. There was the Tyler Doctrine, where the U.S. now holds a greater interest in Hawaii than any other nation, and no other power will be allowed to seek exclusive commercial privileges in Hawaii. So the U.S. is like, okay, now we're like dating, we're exclusive, except I'm going to go have like 90 other gals, and you're just only going to be with me, and only only economically be tied to me. The U.S. is a Chad, as we can just all acknowledge, an absolute Chad, just, hey. I'm going to do my thing. I want to be exclusive. You should do and see nobody else. This is only a me and you thing. However, I can do whatever, whatever I want, whatever I want, because I'm the U.S. and I can. And so clearly y'all be seeing that through the rest of the world. You saw, you see it here too. Well, Great Britain was not happy about that. Oh yeah. Tell us about about Great Britain. The the other megastad. Yeah, Kamehameha III cedes the islands to Great Britain under force, but he was later reinstated as the ruler of Hawaii, like within like a couple months. So no great thing, you know, just Great Britain trying to do a last minute power grab, but I think they realized it was kind of over. They're like, hmm, yeah, not really panning out for us. And then in 1848, the Great Mahale comes about, and that was also by King Kamehameha III. And it was a land distribution where the lands retained by the king are divided into his personal lands and government lands. And all awards of lands are subject to the rights of native tenants of the land. But then he also fills his cabinet with foreign ministers, which people are not too happy. Like, what are foreign ministers doing in Hawaii's business? Mm -hmm. And this began a new era for prosperity for missionary families as they they are able to start sugar and pineapple plantations. They got that 50-year lease. Mm-hmm. they have a cabinet looking out for their interests so this is where stuff starts to get real you know mm-hmm. 
1849, the second Hawaiian and U.S. Treaty of Friendship, Commerce, and Navigation was renewed. And then finally, in 1850, the Kuleana Act had it so that commoners were allowed to apply for an individual land parcel, but they were required to prove their claim by 1854 and pay survey costs. So this led to like the commoners of Hawaii owning a lot less land than they would because they only had like 30,000 acres, like a little bit under as a mm -hmm. result, because a lot of them didn't understand the procedures for making a claim. So, yeah, because I mean, it's just like super like westernized way of doing everything. And it's like, yeah. clearly, so much has changed just over the last 50 years in terms of land distribution, let alone trying to, you know, figure out this entirely brand new system that Westerners have always grown up with, basically. Yeah. And so why the while the commoners were struggling to get land because of survey costs and whatnot, Foreigners were given the right to own Hawaiian lands, regardless of citizenship, at the same time. So, you know, you know, those wealthy landowners just swooped in, mm -hmm. grabbed all the available lands. And then in 1852, we get a new constitution, and it was just a Ew. revised version of the previous one. And then in 1854, King Kamehameha III dies, and King Kamehameha IV becomes king. But that didn't last long because he dies just a few years later in 1863. And then King or Kamehameha V becomes king and calls for another new constitution. Yeah. So then that leads into a bunch of new stuff in 1864 with a the constitutional convention, it deadlocks. And then you have Kamehameha the fifth dissolving the convention, declaring a new constitution of 1864 which increases the power of the king and it changes how the kingdom legislature works. And it also requires voters born after 1840 to pass a literacy test and meet certain property requirements. So for those of you that don't know, this sounds very Jim Crow. Exactly what I was thinking. Like, it, like it, it's, I mean, that's exactly what the US did. So here you are, you have Kamehameha the fifth doing basically Jim Crow Hawaiian style at this point. Yeah, well, I mean, he's probably, it didn't confirm whether or not his religion, but his grandfather had converted to Christianity. So we're starting to see a lot more, not necessarily like pro-US, but they're just a bit more, they're more accepting of it. They're like, okay, maybe this could be a good thing. Mm -hmm. It could help the island, but it'll eventually get them back in their butt. <laughs> Yeah, and then, I mean, and then you have 1872, where now King Hamihamiha V, do y'all want to take a guess what happens? Just hold up, we'll give you a guess. What happens in 1872? Right, he dies. <laughs> the king dies. King Hamihamiha V dies without naming an heir. So and then you have William Lunalilo becoming the first elected king by popular vote. But then he literally dies a year later. <laughs> Yeah, so like everybody is dying. Everybody, it, this is like Game of Thrones level. Everybody in this story is dying. No matter who you are, you will never sit on the throne for more than 10 years at this rate because you just, will, you're going to die. So after King Lunalilo dies, Kalakaua is elected by the Legislative Assembly to become the king. So King Kalakaua is the predecessor and the brother to Queen Uli. I know, right, Hunter? These names are so hard. Liliuo Kalani. It's fine. I just need to, like, I just need to see it for a second and then just really, I mean, like, I can type it out, but pronouncing it actually is, just takes a second. So he is the predecessor and the brother to Queen Liliuo Kalani, who reigned over the Hawaiian kingdom from 1874 to 1891. 
and Dowager Queen Emma, who was married to Kamehameha IV, ran against the future president of Kalakaua. The race was essentially an election between the British and the American empires on the island. Queen Emma was pro-British, where King Kalakaua was pro-American. There was brief conflict between pro-American and pro-British residents on the islands. Due to this, U.S. armed forces were introduced to, quote, maintain order, end quote, during the election. But their arrival ultimately supported the pro-American Kalakaua. So here you are, you have America's first integration of military into Hawaii. So Erica, if you want to talk a little bit more on what happens next. Yeah, and if you notice, it was just talking about pro-American and pro-British residents having like an important say in the election, but you don't hear anything about Native Hawaiians because nope. where their are, interests where are the didn't matter. Where are the it literally did not matter. So in 1876, we have the Treaty of Reciprocity um, of 1876. And this was a free trade agreement between the U.S. and the Hawaiian Kingdom that guaranteed a duty-free market for Hawaiian sugar in exchange for special economic privileges to the U.S. that were denied to other countries. So they literally just made their relationship official. <laughs> That's much. what this does. But like also this entangles Hawaii with the U.S. and is basically like foreshadowing to the later annexation, which doesn't happen too much later after that. Mm-hmm. And then so you know, things are happening. King Kalakaua is getting closer to the United States with that free trade agreement. The island's doing well, profiting off sugar. Landowners getting wealthier, blah, blah, blah. So in 1886, King Kalakaua appointed Sanford B. Dole to the role of Associate Justice for the Supreme Court of Hawaii. Now, Dole was important because he was, while he was born in Hawaii, he was born to American parents. And his father began managing Oahu College, which is now known as today as Punahua School. And Dole was a prominent figure in Hawaiian politics and business in the late 19th century, as well as a leader of the reform movements in the islands that led to the adoption of a new constitution for the kingdom. So he was affiliated with a group known as the Hawaiian League, which was mostly made up of white settlers, which held a lot of interest in the highly profitable sugar industry. They just decided to write a new constitution for the kingdom. Like They're like, you know what? We don't like what you think, so we're going to just do it for you. Naturally, of course. They used the gunpowder of their subgroup, the Honolulu Rifles, which that name, that, that's all I have to you say, know, that name. Just, all right, moving on. <laughs> the Hawaiian League forced King Kalakaua to sign the Bayonet Constitution at gunpoint in 1887. So you're telling me the Honolulu Rifles forced the king to sign the Bayonet Constitution at gunpoint. And somehow this is just seen as like, okay, by people. Literally, nobody said anything. They're just like, all right. Cool. They're like, yeah, you know, why wouldn't we just shove a gun in his face and, you know, expect him to make any other decision besides the one that will ensure his life? Like, why Why would we assume anything else? Exactly. And this constitution, the bayonet one, was literally named bayonet constitution because of the fact that they held him at gunpoint. Yeah. And it, like, annulled the previous constitution created by King Kamehameha III that was later revised by King Kamehameha V. And it essentially stripped the king of much of his power and left him to be a figurehead by placing much of the legal authority into the legislature. President or King Kalakua, it was the last king to ever hold power in his office. Because after that, this constitution came to be. And we can Mm -hmm. see a lot of the similar language between the Bayonet Constitution and the U.S. Constitution. 
For example, Article 9 of the Bayonet Constitution reflects sentiments of the U.S.'s Fifth Amendment, quote, no person shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself. Sound familiar? Sounds a fair bit familiar. And it gets worse. The new constitution granted suffrage to foreigners, so now they have the right to vote. And many of whom were the descendants of missionaries who settled on the islands in an effort to spread Christianity to native Hawaiians. And then Article 59 stated that those qualified to vote, so like not only do the foreigners have suffrage, now they're going to impede on the voting rights of everybody. And they had to, rep to, in order to vote, it had to be every male resident of the Hawaiian Islands of Hawaiian American or European birth or descent who shall have attained 20 years of age, shall have paid his taxes, shall have caused his name to be entered on the list of voters for nobles in his district. And then they, the worst part is like the Jim Crowy parts of it, of where yeah. it also requires those voting to own, possess, to own and possess taxable property in the country of the value not less than $3,000 or shall have actually received an income of not less than $600 during the year preceding his registration for such election. So here you are, you have income requirements. Then you go on, also must be literate and quote, be able or in quote, able to read and comprehend an ordinary newspaper in either Hawaiian, English or some European language, end quote. And then also contingent on an individual's willingness to take quote, an oath to support the constitution and laws, end quote, in allegiance to the new government. Horrendous. The new government that has been forced, forcibly signed in at gunpoint, and you must now pledge allegiance to them because they will shove a gun in your face, clearly, if you don't agree to the terms and conditions of this new constitution. They're literally just like, we hate poor people. Don't Pretty much. Vote. I mean, say it without saying it. Like, they're genuinely saying the quiet part out loud here. Yeah, and so like 32 plantations on the island dominated the economy and 25 of those were American owned. And like mm -hmm. America hadn't even been there for that long. Yeah, and it's like, there's only seven left. And at the same time, it's like, okay, so the other seven aren't American owned. Are they British owned? Are they, you know, heavily influenced by Americans that own the other 25? Like, I mean, come on now. Like, it's Probably just because America just create a monopoly, straight up sugar monopoly, right? Right in Hawaii. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Well, a majority of the landowners at the time were missionary descendants whose parents benefit from the great Mahale land division and gained the right to land, right to own land as foreigners in 1850. Mm -hmm. So they're basically all missionaries spreading Christianity and they have the power like economically and now they're able to get political power. And so the landowning, they the natives called them ha haoles, which refers to white foreign settler. And they captured the legislature in the very first election following the adoption of the Bayonet Constitution. And mm -hmm. the Hawaiian League members were now able to have political control over the lands that they already had economic control. Which is just a whole other mess, but... Yep. It gets worse, though. Because then in 1891, Kalakua dies and his sister, Liliwa Kualani, becomes queen. And she becomes the next and last, the first and last queen of Hawaii. So then in 1892, you have the Native Hawaiians asking Queen Liliuo Kolani for a new constitution. And she signs bills licensing the sale of opium and granting a franchise to establish a lottery. The Committee of 13 plans a coup. As y'all know, whenever you start selling opium in a country, it does not pan out well. We've heard of the opium wars in China, did not pan out well. We hear of opium here, did not pan out well. 
So then Aku, Aku's never good. I mean, we talked about it a little bit in the turkey episode. Coups are never good. Even if you survive the coup, you're still going to be like paranoid. The sitting government is going to be a little upset about it. Like no matter what, even if you successfully stop the coup, you're still going to be messed up from it. So after that, you have in 1893, the Committee of 13 renames itself the Committee on Public Safety and declares the throne vacant on January 15th as the U.S. overthrows the Hawaiian monarchy and Sanford Dole negotiates an, annex, an annexation treaty with the Harrison administration. So you have this man who's in charge of the, what was it, the Honolulu Rifles? And now he's- he was in allegiance with the Hawaiian League whose subgroup was the Honolulu Rifles. Yes. Okay. So yeah. So you have this man basically who has the power of the Honolulu Rifles behind him, who's now annexing and brokering this deal of annexation of Hawaii for the U.S. So the literally treaty- just unprovoked. <clears throat> like yeah. you, U.S. was like, no, we don't want this. And he was like, no, he was like, actually, I'm giving you do. this to you. Yeah. <laughs> like you actually do want this. I'm giving you a whole, a whole chain of islands at this point. So the treaty was not ratified before the Cleveland administration replaces the Harrison administration. So President Cleveland delivers a message to Dole asking for his resignation and to restore the legitimate government of Hawaii, which is, you know, the, the only right king. Thing, yeah, the right thing to do at this point. Like you have this man that's like, no, literally stop. We didn't ask for it. We don't want it. Give the land back to the people who actually own it. Like put them back in power. What are you doing? And Dole simply refuses. He asks for U.S. troops to protect Americans as they brought down the Hawaiian monarchy by force. Literally admits to it. He's like, yes. yeah, we're not like safe right now. We're not safe because we overthrew the government. So like, if you could like send us troops though, even though you told us just to like give it back to the government, like this is genuinely treason. And this man is actively committing treason and just acting like, yeah, it's cool. It's whatever. We just want some troops though to continue with treason, but yeah. fine. So the committee of the 13 that you mentioned earlier, it was literally just like landowners, including uh, Sanford Dole, which I, we should just call the evil one. He literally like <laughs> befriended Kalakaua and like got on the Supreme Court. And he's like, this isn't enough, actually. I need to violently overthrow the Hawaiian monarchy and then I'll be satisfied. So he literally pulled the audio of Kanye of literally how much does it cost to be, how much does it cost to own the world? I'm going to be the king, king of the world. <laughs> Exactly. This man man was Kanye before Kanye existed. Him and his other, like the 13, the committee of the 13 were all just like, I'm a whole Kanye. Yeah, Kanye Kanye was by himself, but (laughs) Sanford Dole was, Sanford Dole was Kanye with like the back little entourage. Kanye is just doing it by himself. But anyway, back to, back to Dole. Yeah, so Queen Lily Kalani, she opposed U.S. influence overall, but again, was forced to surrender when the plantation owners and then an arrival of an American battleship came and she was like, all right, I, she's like, I will surrender believing that the legitimate United States government wouldn't reinstate her, which I mean, is valid considering the fact that President Cleveland was like, we're not a fan, this is no bueno. Yeah, literally reinstate her. Yeah, and President Cleveland opposed the annexation of the sovereign nation, and he refused to do it, but it was later annexed in 1898 when William McKinley takes office, but a few things happened before then. Mm -hmm. So, a year after, in 1894, after Dole just takes this from Queen Lily Kalani, the the Dole government declares itself the Republic of Hawaii, and a lot of Queen Lily Kalani's 
supporters are still like in favor of her, but she's powerless because she abdicated again to save the lives of her people and her supporters are targeted for retribution. And then the queen's imprisoned like the woman in her is literally own palace. A saint. The like, woman is literally a saint. Literally, all of she her was people. like she is doing what a leader should do. Yeah, and her brother died like just a couple years before that. Like, like the woman is trying her best. Yeah, and then so in 1896, William McKinley was elected into president of the United States, and he was receptive of the annexation of Hawaii. And Queen Lily Kuwani was allowed to return home, but she was denied reinstatement of her monarchy because McKinley wants Pearl Harbor and brings the question of annexation before Congress. So, then, so, oh, go ahead. <laughs> so then in 1898, through a joint resolution of Congress, Hawaii is annexed in the Newlands Resolution. All Hawaiian crown lands are ceded to the U.S. And then in 1900, President McKinley signs the Organic Act, making Hawaii a territory, and Sanford Dole is appointed the first governor. And then 59 years later, in 1959, Hawaii becomes a state. Why do we reward evil people? Like, why was he appointed first governor? Honestly, like the man should have been jailed Literally. It, for so many different reasons, whether it's humanitarian law, whether it's international criminal law, whether it is um, international war law, like the man is a criminal on all on all fronts at this point. And it's just so it's so despicable, especially seeing that you still have native Hawaiians today still fighting for the rights of their land. And you still have the U.S. just casually just occupying it, casually annexing it, like. Yeah, dude, literally nobody, like, did anything about it. Like, the United States just straight up annexed Hawaii, as we just listened to. So we just mm-hmm. recounted all the things that led up to them annexing it. And nobody did anything. They're just like, oh, yeah, that yeah. wasn't cool. But, like. Yeah, so, and then you have some of, like, the crazy things. So. I actually did my capstone research on paradiplomatic activities of non-state actors, which I know that that's a mouthful, and especially for the folks that are here that aren't super oriented with political science and the terminology of it. Essentially, all that that means is what does a what does an actor do that's not serving as like the head of state? So like it's not the US doing it, it's somebody else. So for example, that can be a multinational corporation, that can be a non-state actor, such as a state or a city, it can be a interest group, lobbying firm, it can be even something like Amnesty International that fights for human rights. So you have these different organizations and different types of actors that can go and do these paradiplomatic, paradiplomatic activities. Hawaii, for being how much of the size of California, Hawaii had a third of California's dip- paradiplomatic activities. They have third, Honolulu itself has 30 sister cities, which sister cities are linking. So you can have more tourism. You're going to have a lot more like technology sharing. You're going to be sharing for better city planning. For example, Chicago, giant city, multinational, has 29 sister cities. Honolulu has 30. Honolulu has 30 sister cities. It has a third of the paradiplomatic activities that California does. Like Hawaii acts almost as it is still a foreign entity. It acts like it's still going and having these different relations with different countries. It is the longest sister city that it's had is with Hiroshima. I mean, call it ironic, call it crazy, call it wild. You see that Hawaii behaves in a way that it really 
does still have these foreign relations that's not so much of the U.S. I mean, obviously, it still goes along with the U.S. overall, but it has kind of its own vibe and its own thing. And you still see these Native Hawaiians fighting for their own country to be there instead of just being illegally annexed under the U.S., which is just, it's just so horrible to see. Yeah, you know, they do, you know, they act almost as if they're not part of the United States. Like they still act as they're kind of like their own, you know, those like, yeah. it's almost like they're those tropical islands that like everybody just visits. Yeah. Um, like the Maldives or something like that. That's kind of how they act. Like they were able to shut mm-hmm. down a lot more than, than the rest of the United States. Cause they are so small and they're like literally just islands. So they had a much lower average infection rate of COVID because again, they were able to shut down so hard. Um, and then when opening up again, and really, I think the only thing that suffered over there was the tourism industry, just because it's so large yeah. mm-hmm. and it made the state whole state suffer because now they rely so much on the tourism, which yeah. has its own problems in itself. Like we've already talked so much about <laughs> the history of it, so we won't go into it, but like the tourism in Hawaii, like, yeah, but then they can make their own problems. kind of, but then they can make their own kind of rules too, of where it's like, Hey, like if you're coming to Hawaii, you have to quarantine for two weeks in a hotel room before you can leave anywhere and do anything. Or, hey, if you're coming here, then you need to pay these fees for these state parks to be maintained. Or, hey, you can come here, but like there's stipulations on things where you don't always see that with, you know, states and different entities within the continental U.S. So you see Hawaii as it's kind of a different type of an actor out here. It really is. So, so Hunter, you know, we talked about the history. We talked about a little bit about, you know, what they're doing with their paradiplomatic stuff and the tourism how would we say the climate in Hawaii is overall following such a tumultuous history with the United States? Like what is, what is Hawaii feeling? So overall, there are some people that are still saying that Hawaii is under an illegal military occupation. You have a U.S. military base there clearly as Pearl Harbor. You have this illegal military occupation where if you're looking at the history of Hawaii and how it came to be, yeah, this is kind of an illegal military occupation. The queen only ceded things over because she was going to die, basically. The bayonet constitution was only signed because there were guns being held. Like, this doesn't really make for an act of, hey, this is a compromise. There's not, it wasn't two equal parties making a deal together, which is what you need for, you know, legal ground. I mean, it doesn't have to be super equal, but there has to be at least a level of equal in this playing field for you to make a fair deal. And this just wasn't fair uh, overall in any way. So you have these people saying that Hawaii is still under illegal military occupation. I would have to somewhat agree based off of the history and how this all came to be. You know, I don't know if that's a crazy opinion. I (laughs) I think that's just a very genuine and general opinion that most people would share these days, but Otherwise, you do still have some people that are saying, oh, no, it's kind of just yeah. how it is. I, I, I agree with you. I think, or if you're somewhat agreeing, I agree. Absolutely. I think it's illegal occupation and it's a violation of humanitarian law. And yeah. it's literally exactly what Russia is doing right now. We're not OK with Russia taking Crimea. How can we how could you just say that's not OK and then not be giving the same critical lens to the United States for their actions with Hawaii? Yeah, because and then you still have some people there while that's saying that it's under illegal military occupation that 
then the U.S. is trying to install all these telescopes and all of these research facilities there, and Native Hawaiians really take up an issue with this. So while it was okay for these telescopes to be put in and through various court battles and legal battles, they're ultimately going to be installed or they have been installed. It's still something that you see these Native Hawaiians, they don't want these research laboratories or these giant telescopes that are, the one is, how big is it? It was crazy. I was looking at it, I couldn't believe it. 18 stories tall. You're telling me this telescope is 18 stories tall. That's giant. That's, that's a, a skyscraper. That's a skyscraper. That's not even a telescope at that point. Like that's a, that's a, that's a building. Like that's my apartment building is only two stories tall. Same. This thing, this thing is 18 stories tall and it's a telescope. I can understand why somebody wouldn't want that on their property. I'd hate having a giant skyscraper right next to me, let alone this has been your native land for thousands of years, hundreds, thousands, as long as you know. This has been your native land. And now people are just, oh yeah. So we're gonna come in, we're gonna put a giant skyscraper right there. So native Hawaiians, they were blocking road access. And ultimately there was on this specific telescope, the 30 meter telescope, you know, construction was halted in 2015, but eventually in 2019, after four years of legal battles, it was okay to continue. So you're seeing that native Hawaiians, they're kind of feeling the same sentiment. And then you do have some people where they're saying, okay, it's kind of been a hundred years at this point. So, you know, we can't really do much about it now. So why try or why bother changing things? It seems all right-ish, but. It's never too late to do the right thing. Elect President yeah. Cleveland again. <laughs> Elect President <laughs> Cleveland again. But, yeah, I think I mean, that's uh, all we have though for Hawaii. Yeah. A, I want to, I'm curious story, to see, but... yeah, I'm curious to see what our listeners think. Like, are you, are you in favor of United States keeping human or Hawaii? You're like, oh, it's been a hundred years, let it go. Or you think, or do you think that they are still illegally annexing or they're still in illegal op- occupation? Wow. I keep stumbling over my words. I'm so sorry. It's good. It's been a long week. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> But, but yeah, yeah, tell I us mean, what you guys think. Do you think it's an illegal occupation or are you on the side to keep it? Keep Hawaii with us. Yeah, we would love to know your thoughts. We will have a question coming out on Instagram. So definitely check that out. Let us know if you guys have anything. Please feel free to email us. If you have any thoughts or questions about the podcast, always check out the website. We will see y'all there. We will have all of our sourcing on there. So with that, I think that concludes this week's episode. So thank you guys so much for tuning in and thank you for bearing with us and bearing with my um, COVID schedule. <laughs> I really appreciate it. I do apologize about that, but we will be back to normal this week. We will have our full-length episode today. We have our country analysis coming up on Thursday, which that one's going to be a fun one. I, I honestly can't wait for this one. I wasn't even thinking of this country. Erica said it and I instantly got excited. I, knew, <laughs> I know that this is going to be a fun episode, y'all. I'm excited too. Yeah. Do you want to give them a little hint about it and then they can kind of see on Thursday or? I'm going to give you guys the title of my, one of my thesis papers I wrote for a class I had on one of these, on this country. And it's called, it was, I literally called it, turned it into my professor, Trouble in Paradise. With that, we will see y'all on Thursday for the country analysis. So thank you all so much and we'll see you Thursday. Bye. Bye.